and welcome again to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What this week. We got excited for our Bond series and decided to give you two for the price of one. Except that those two happen to be pretty awful movies. It's hard to tell which is worse though, the one that nearly bored us to sleep or the one that's so terribly racist. Decide for yourself this week as we discuss 1965's Thunderball and 1967's You Only Live Twice. everybody, this is David, a.k.a. Macintosh. And this is Diana, a.k.a. Mod. And welcome again to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the what? podcast where we make each other watch movies we've never seen before. And I am making Mod watch yet another James Bond movie in our Sean Connery Bond series. This week, it's 1965's Thunderball. James Bond heads to the Bahamas to recover two nuclear warheads stolen by Spectre agent Emilio Largo in an international extortion scheme. That was the plot to this movie? Yes. I didn't know. Oh, no. Okay, so I absolutely volunteered for this uh, journey we're going on with Bond. Mm-hmm. With this movie, I currently regret this journey. Hmm? I did not enjoy this film. I mean, I know you didn't enjoy it, but uh -huh. you don't want to watch any more. That's how bad it was? No. Okay. But I'm like, oh, this is why this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> They're not all good. There were 26 of them. This going to be a dud. Dads. It's just like with the season of television. They can't all be winners. All right. This movie had a budget of $9 million. Holy fuckballs. So we we upped the budget a bit. Yes. And if we're scaling based on what we knew last time, that's mm -hmm. like an $80 million budget. So at this point, we're nearing like true action movie territory. Uh -huh. Its box office mm -hmm. was $141.2 million. Okay. So it it's still gangbusters. Adjusted for ticket price inflation, uh -huh. this is the most financially successful Bond film in North America to date. Wow, that's I, I feel bad for the other Bond films. I mean, here's the thing, though. In 1965, I could totally understand people just, after having watched Goldfinger, yeah, no, I being get it. so excited about this that they went in droves. And some people probably were like, yeah, it's kind of boring, but who cares? It's James Bond, and it's underwater. Well, I mean, that's what's going on with Infinity Wars. Yeah. Who cares? I don't care if I've seen all the other films. I don't I, I don't care what happened. I'm just going to go see it. There are two minds of it. Of It's interesting to see the critical response. Mm -hmm. And I kind of agree with people on the critical response yes. of Infinity Wars. A.O. Scott, I think, put it perfectly. Was he was like, it doesn't matter what I tell you about this movie, which I think is kind of drivel. Because we have to watch this movie now yep. because of all these other ones that have been set up. It's true. Because at least one of these characters you care enough about that you need to know their story. That's true. And I loved that take. That's that's absolutely true. Yeah. So it's just an and interesting... It's, it's the same thing with the Bond films. I really like where we are today in present day Bond, Daniel Craig Bond. Yeah. So it's I want to see how we got there. And, you know, that means that occasionally you're going to have to slog through some crap. I mean, we had, to, we had to go through Quantum of Solace. So you've kind of given us initial thoughts. I, is there anything specific that bothered you about this movie? It was too slow. Yes. It's it's so slow. For a for one of the longest Bond movies to this point, mm -hmm. at nearly what, 215, I think. Yeah. We couldn't watch it in one sitting because it was longer and it was so slow that we were falling asleep. And here's the sad part, is that what makes it slow are the action sequences. Well, the action sequences all take place underwater. Correct. Which is cool. Yes. Especially for 1965. That's awesome. And I think they were done really well. But they needed to speed some things up. Either make the action sequences slow and everything else fast. Or they could have done some scoring that would have helped like heighten what was happening. It was just, it was a slog. There was very little editing in this movie. Obviously. I think because they paid so much money to do those sequences mm -hmm. that they were going to put every yeah. single frame of it in the movie. I, I believe that. <laughs> I do. Okay, let's get into the writing. Okay. And even before the writing, we finally, we've talked about it for the first three episodes. Yeah, because Thunderball is the first book, correct? Is that the first book in the no. Fleming? Okay. The first book is Casino Royale. Oh, crap. You've told me this before. I'm sorry, Bond fans. It is the first book that they wanted to film. Correct. Okay, that's that's what I got. Okay. It was the initial mm -hmm. script treatment they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. But we had this legal dispute going on. Mm -hmm. So... K. 
Kevin McClory and Jack Whittingham had collaborated with Ian Fleming before mm-hmm. Salty Broccoli had ever gotten on. By the way, that's Saltzman mm-hmm. and Broccoli, the producers of the film, if you haven't been listening before. We call them Salty Broccoli because it's just so funny. Can't not. They had worked on this screenplay with Ian Fleming. Ian Fleming then published the novel Thunderball. Mm-hmm. They said, you stole what we wrote in our screenplay. Oh, okay. So they had already written this story, mm-hmm. and then Fleming went and published it as, as a, the book. As a book. Disputes about this went on until 2006. Wow. Various different parts of the legal mm-hmm. argument. To avoid McClory, because he had, in these legal disputes, he had rights to this movie. Yeah. And the novel, the producers allowed him to have limited screen rights to story, plot, and characters. Mm -hmm. Later down the road, you can produce whatever you want after this movie's made. And then they said that we're going to give you a sole producer credit. Mm -hmm. So if you watch the credits, Kevin McClory is the producer of this film. Okay. Not Saltzman and Broccoli. They are executive producers. Okay. And even though Richard Maybaum returned to write this movie, McClory and Whittingham got story and original screenplay credits. Okay. The whole thing was negotiated because they were still in court Mm -hmm. to say, we don't want to argue with you at all. We want to make this movie. Mm -hmm. So we are just going to put your name on here where we need to. We're going to credit you, but we're going to limit your credit. So that you, well, so that you can't turn around and try to produce a James Bond movie. Because that was their biggest fear. Yes. That he would suddenly undercut what they did with Goldfinger Mm -hmm. and reap millions. Yeah. No, no. I get get that. Because they wanted to hang on to it. Mm Mm-hmm. Kevin McClory would later go on to produce a remake Mm -hmm. of this story, Never Say Never Again. Yes, which we will revisit at another time. Sean Connery in his 60s playing James Bond. That's just badass. Uh, (laughs) Well, maybe. So that was the movie that kind of gave me some pause when it came to like figuring out how we wanted to do James Bond. Because it became like, okay, well, that's a Sean Connery film. We're trying to cover Sean Connery. But we kind of figured out the best way to handle all of this was to go in order. Yeah. And so we are going to do... Never say never again. But we're going to do it in, you know, in between the Roger Moore. Because I know a lot of people don't consider that a part of the James Bond canon. No, they don't. Because and it's it, not by the same people. It's not. It's not under the same production house and it's not in the same through line. Okay, so, yeah. What'd you think about Richard Maybaum's script? Because he's been here the whole time. It's not trash, but it ain't good. I don't think the script has as many problems as the rest of the movie. It's not as high concept as Goldfinger. That's o- And that's okay. You couldn't match Goldfinger in that way. No. And I feel like this villain being like, I'll just feed him to the sharks. That's an interesting device. He's also kind of full of rage. Okay. Like, he has to be calmed down by his underlings at times. Like, we see Largo with Fiona Volpe Uh when he's like, if you'd have killed Bond now, they would know we have the missiles. Mm -hmm. But Largo's so obsessed with getting his revenge that he forgets that he's working for Spectre. Well, okay, but I like a villain that's flawed. Yeah. That's good. That's more human. And I mean, the shark thing is just kind of cool. It's kind of badass when you think about it. I'm okay with that because you couldn't do the exact same thing with the villain like Goldfinger. I think really the problem is, is that all of that good setup in Mm -hmm. the writing gets dropped for the main action sequence at the end. Well, and it's, it's not even the main action sequence. It's just every scene is slow. There's no punch up to this script. There's not a lot of levity. There's not James Bond being James Bond. Like hmm. he's like I don't see that. I see some you know, we see some of the gadgets. We we've got a Bond girl, but you don't you don't get to enjoy any of it. No. And I think that's the problem. We don't get to enjoy James Bond in this film. I think I have a theory about that, but we're gonna have to wait to get there. Damn it. Why are you making me wait? Because first we have to talk about the director. Guy Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Said he was felt completely drained and mm-hmm. creatively just numb after Goldfinger. That's fair. Yeah. So, for his last appearance in the Bond canon, welcome back Terrence Young, everybody. Oh, okay. <laughs> now, it's really funny. When they talked to Terrence Young initially before doing Dr. No, mm-hmm. they asked him what movies he considered doing. In order, he said, Dr. No, From Russia With Love, and Thunderball. And those are the three he did. And those are the three he did. In that order. Pretty fun. Yeah, I... So, okay, so Terrence Young came back for this one. Correct. 
he just didn't have it in him because from Russia with love could have been like this. It could have easily been like this with True. that script, but you got to play with Bond. You got and to they, enjoy him. They didn't do any of that here. Well, and they that's were, the problem. They were also constantly rewriting from Russia with love as they were moving. Okay. Well, that might've, that might've worked to their advantage. I think sort in of hindsight. Okay. Cause I mean, yeah, I know. At the time, it's it been would, a while since we watched that one. Now, it would have been insanity to yes. to try to do that. Also, they were dealing with a bigger budget. I will say the budget shows this is the first yes. Bond movie in Panavision, Ooh. and you can tell. I mean, just even looking at Goldfinger, Goldfinger is a classic film mm-hmm. and looks great. Mm-hmm. But compared to how this movie looks on camera... I think I only noticed that because of the water sequences. You notice that because of the water sequences, but you also notice it in Mm -hmm. how clear the picture is. Cinematography-wise... I guess that didn't hit me enough. It did for me. It really was like, oh, this is night and day. It looks like a whole new franchise. Oh, they got money and they're they're big boys now. (laughs) They they can make a real movie. (laughs) Terrence Young did state, It would have been a disaster if this was the first movie they did. Because with no budget, Mm -hmm. this would have been terrible. Oh, agreed. So they needed the budget. I Mm -hmm. mean, just to pull off having a NATO bomber sink into an ocean Mm -hmm. and then underwater film the dismantling of the nuclear bombs from underneath it. Mm -hmm. That moment alone for me, in terms of the technical aspect of the film, was like, well, shit. Yeah. (laughs) That... That's where this movie does shine. Yeah, no, all, all the underwater sequences are great. They're just... So long. They're they just so long. Speed up the film with the playback. Just do it. Just speed it up. It's either that or just cut. Speed it up, cut some of it, and then score it differently. Hard cut To make yeah. it more exciting. Yeah, exactly. Your scoring sucks. The cast. Because Sean Connery this time is actually kind of important. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about his performance in this movie? A little dull. Little doll. He seems bored. The spark's not there, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. Sean Connery is becoming more and more frustrated with the press during the filming of this movie. That's fair. And he was distracted by really bad marriage problems. Oh, yeah. He refused to speak with journalists and photographers who followed him. And in one interview, he said, I find that fame tends to turn one from an actor and a human being into a piece of merchandise, a public institution. Well, I don't intend to undergo that metamorphosis. Uh, He's not wrong. And it's only gotten worse. I think after doing Goldfinger and then all of the press, mm-hmm. he suddenly realized, shit, I'm signed on for two more of these and I'm done. I have nothing left in me to give for this franchise. Well, I think if they had taken longer in between films, because this was bam, 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 bam. It was one, two, three. I think they paused for maybe 18 months between the release of the last one and this one. 62, 63, 64, 65. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's nonstop. I think if he had had like, let's take a year, let me do another project while I'm doing and then come back to this. He could have enjoyed it. But yeah, that's that's you're dead. That's why they had to take a break for Harry Potter. Those kids are like, we need to go to school for a little bit. Bye. I think he's totally fatigued and Mm -hmm. it reads. And the script is dull. A little bit. I, I he needed. Where was his money penny? He needed a money penny scene. Wait, wasn't there? There was. There a, is a money penny. There scene. was a money penny scene, and it's the best. It's one of the best scenes in the movie. I do, it's I, when he goes to the briefing with the super secret people with all the other double O's. Uh huh. It was so far in the movie that I forgot about it. Oh yeah, that was a kick-ass scene. Okay, there's a few other. We got to talk about some of the Bond girls. Okay. Domino, played mm-hmm. by Claudine Auger, she was a model. And there were a slew of models considered for this role. But before that, Mm -hmm. there were some others, which means we have to play Who Could Have Been Better? Who Could Have Been Better? Hmm. Julie Christie was the original choice. But when they went to the producers, apparently Broccoli said he was disappointed with her in real life. (laughs) I can only imagine what that means. Exactly. (laughs) I want to make really derogatory comments, but I'm not going to. I mean, here's the thing. It's James Bond, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's some really mm-hmm. nasty little white men. Raquel Welch was the next pick oh, yeah, after was... seeing her in Life magazine, but she got hired away to Fantastic Voyage. Oh, okay. So. But she becomes a Bond girl later on, right? No, I don't think so. I could have sworn she was a Bond girl. Maybe she does. I don't remember. Okay. Finally, Faye Dunaway 
was incredibly close to signing the role. Apparently it didn't work out, but she was inches away. And this is before anybody knew who she was. I could see that. This could, is She would be a great Money Penny-like character. Or even a Pussy Galore type yeah, character. No, yeah, that's what I mean, that um, flirtatious but also antagonistic. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I, like, I'll sleep with you, but I ain't gonna put up with your shit. No, of course not. Like, that's that type of Bond girl. And then, you know, two years later, she went on to do Bonnie and Clyde, and everybody oh. knew who the hell she was, so. True, true. Anybody in there you'd pick? I like Julie Christie. That would have been good. Because this girl's just, she's not memorable. Pretty much. Yeah, and that with a Bond girl, like a real Bond girl, because some of them are just there for him to sleep with, and then they leave, they can just be pretty. Yeah. That's fine. But Domino's supposed to be a little bit more than that. A little bit. A little bit more. So you need somebody with that something special, and this girl didn't have it. I mean, she's pretty, sure, but that's it. Now, there's one other person that you could consider. Mm. She's playing a different role, though. Yeah. That is Luciana Paluzzi as Fiona Volpe. Which one is she in the movie? So she's the assassin. She's the other Italian lady that he does sleep with, and then fireworks go down. Yeah. She's good, but she's also not that memorable. I mean, hello, I can barely... I can barely remember who she's in the movie. Yeah, I think this I think this movie is a bummer and they cast bummer people. <laughs> yeah. Including Sean fucking Connery. Sean Connery, I mean, he just kind of came with the deal. He has the ability to not be a bummer, but he was a bummer of a person. So he became a bummer of a bond. There's only one other interesting noteworthy character because mm-hmm. everybody else is mostly just european actors yeah but the role of paula his assistant who's with him in the bahamas mm-hmm. is played by martine bestwick she was born in jamaica but you right remember her from her first ever film credit she was zora one of the gypsy girls who fights over bond <laughs> in from russia with love she's one of the fight girls <laughs> uh-huh oh that's cool yeah and then we get our regulars we get m we get money penny and we get Q, and with Q, we get... Gadgets! Gadgets. Yay, let's talk about gadgets. This was the best scene in the whole fucking It movie. was, it was, because Q was just, like, not having any of Bond's nonsense. It was the moment of levity. Oh, it was. From the very first moment, Q walks in the door, and the first line out of James's mouth is, oh, no. Yeah. Well, and Q's just <laughs> like, I don't give a shit, just stop costing us money. He was even like, ah, I just... I don't even understand how we can do this in the field. He's got like a he's got a full Panama shirt on with a fedora, and it's like he hates being on vacation. And he's like, "Why am I here? Where's my lab? Can we go back to my lab where it's safe?" Okay, so let's talk about all the gadgets. Okay. The jetpack from the beginning of the movie. It's great. That it's was great. a real functioning jetpack. I know that. That is awesome. It was used throughout all different types of things. Uh, used by the U.S. military mm. or developed by the U.S. military. And mostly used for entertainment purposes. It only worked for a couple of minutes. Mm-hmm. And I believe the quote was that it was the most dangerous thing they had on set. Because <laughs> it could be- blow up at any time. I believe it. I believe that. The air supply, the mini scuba device, which was literally just two the, mini CO2 canisters the, taped together. The rebreather. And they asked these guys, how long would this actually help you underwater? They said, as long as you can breathe. Mm-hmm. As long as you can hold a breath. Yeah. Because it couldn't do anything. Yeah. The underwater jetpack that we see at the oh. end of the movie and we see him messing with yeah. while he's there has spear guns in there. Okay. They used the green coloring in the back. Mm-hmm. It actually created a different color when it was used. Mm-hmm. Because I think of the fuel and stuff. Mm-hmm. But to make it stand out more underwater, they used green food coloring oh, okay. behind it. So you got that yellow effect as mm. he was flying, flying around, around down there. Yeah. The underwater camera. Mm-hmm. Our pocket flare gun. The Breitling top time watch with Geiger counter. Oh, yes. I loved the watch. We finally got our first watch, watch tie in. Yeah. That watch sold for 100,000 pounds when it went on auction. I believe that. Wikipedia mentioned the sharks. Which I was like, okay, I guess that's a gadget. They aren't laser sharks. No, they're not laser sharks, but they are very dangerous sharks. And expensive, I'm sure. The skyhook, which is the actual (laughs) method of rescuing people from the Coast Guard. Yeah. I think that had just been developed. Yeah. So, okay, this ties into, and we'll talk about this a little bit more with the trivia, but Broccoli had some relationship with this guy, Colonel Russian. Mm Mm-hmm who was in the Air Force, and that's how he got all of this shit. So he got it connected to all the military stuff. And then finally, we got to talk about the Spectre office. Oh, God. The Spectre office (laughs) is pretty... Okay, that against the double O scene is awesome. 
Yes. It's really cool. Like, we're watching this, and you can get the guy with the hat, with the cat. We've got Blofeld. No, Blofeld, the cat. And then all of a sudden, like, somebody's an ass, and they get blown up in their chair. Electrocuted. Electrocuted, okay. Electrocuted in their chair. The chair goes down, the chair comes back. Chair's fine, but the person's gone. Yeah. It's awesome! And it's Austin Powers. Yeah, oh, it's totally Austin Powers. Leave me alone. I love it. Like, every movie we watch, you're just getting closer to the full Dr. Evil scene. Without the jokes and Scott Evil. Oh, nothing beats Scott Evil. That is probably <laughs> one of my, that's probably my favorite, Seth Green. Uh-huh. And Harley Waits really close, but I love <laughs> Seth Green and Scott Evil. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's such the parody of the James Bond bad guys. Oh, it's, it's great. It's just a really good scene. I also like the fact that there's no tables. They've got little desks mm-hmm. and it's the runway. Yes. Instead of that, it's a neat device to force them into an equal playing field. Well, it's the opposite of the double O's of the MI6. True. Which is nice because they're like in a round. It's very Knights of the Round Table. Right. They're in an arc, but you know, you got you get that feeling, that vibe because it's British. With the foreign secretary and all that stuff going on. I also like that we believe 003 is a woman. Mm. because of the feet. You can only see the feet and it appears to be a woman. Interesting. I didn't catch that, but that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. All right. So our theme song is a little tricky here. Okay. Because before we talk about the actual theme song, Mm -hmm. we actually get to play our own game of which theme would have been better. The original theme song for this movie, Mm -hmm. originally sung by Dame Shirley Bassey, then re-recorded by Dionne Warwick, Oh was called Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. shark he looks for trouble that's why the zeros double mr kiss kiss bang bang he's suave and he's smooth and he can sue you so what do you think about that one okay i really like that I actually do too. The first time I heard it, the Shirley Bassey one isn't great. It's not good quality and it kind of sounds like a demo. Yeah. And that probably makes sense because they hadn't fully orchestrated mm-hmm. it out yet. It's it's the exact vibe you expect from a Bond film. I know. And it really reminds me of the ones they did for Pierce Brosnan. Ah. And I those were pretty good. So I, I like the vibe. It's sexy and I like the brass and it's got a good lead. It's good. It was taken from an Italian journalist mm-hmm. who, when referencing James Bond, called him, uh, we say, uh, Mr. Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang, which is so great. It just reminds me of that You Shot Me Down, Bang, Bang. Uh, it, it, it makes me think of that song and they used it in Kill Bill. Great. But... Oh, Nancy Sinatra. Yeah, that's the vibe I get from it, which I like. Yep. It, it's good. It was turned down because it didn't have the title as the name of the song. I understand that. Later on, they didn't do that. Later on, they uh-huh. got over that. Albert Broccoli was fine with it. But at the time, I think they just I know, went, we, I kn- don't, we can't do that. I know they like to have the title of the movie in the song if it is not the title well, of the song. Well, yeah. And at this point, they wanted it. They wanted the title of the song to be the title of the movie. I get that. So they opted out. Then Johnny Cash recorded a version. What? Of Thunderball. Wow. <laughs> And all the world can hear it call They shudder at the fury of the mighty thunderball Thunderball Okay, that is a badass song It's a great Johnny Cash song It is great, but it is not James Bond at all No Like, I just keep thinking, well this would work if James Bond was on a horse 
he was on a horse, it'd be fine. I know. It would be great. And that or, would be a great James Bond, like James Bond as a Western. Well, yeah, if if he was in like a Western town or something like yeah. that, having to deal with some type of issue with Spectre. Yeah, it yeah, would totally make sense. Yeah, and instead of a sense. car, he gets a stallion, whatever. That'd be great. Right. But that's not going to happen. Well, it might. It's a great idea. It is. Let's do it with the next James Bond, with Idris Elba as Bond. <laughs> Idris Elba in a Bond Western? <sighs> Idris Elba. The funny thing about it, too, is if you listen to the lyrics, mm-hmm. it's the plot of the movie. It is. The Mighty Thunderball, which they're yeah. talking about Mighty the atomic bombs. So it's it's... <laughs> I mean, he wrote a song about the actual fucking movie. It's a good song on its own. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I'm not like a huge, crazy Johnny Cash fan, but when he's good, he's amazing. Oh, God. But no, you can't do that for this. It's not right for the movie. Never would have worked. It's not right for the movie. So Great it, song, though. I try to link to the videos I pull the songs from when you're listening to them. Mm-hmm. This will have the video where they've matched it up with the original title sequence. And it looks good with the title sequence. It's just not right for Bond. It's so bad for the movie. It is. But eventually they decided to go with Mr. Tom Jones recording a newly written version of Thunderball. He always runs while others walk. He acts while other men just talk. Okay. I'm going to argue in favor of this one. I really like it. I do. I feel you siding with Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang right now. I'll let you talk. Here's here's my argument for this song. Yes, it's a slow movie, and I know that we're not big fans of the way the plot works, but what I will say is the way that they made this movie and the, how they really made it sort of a harder stakes action drama mm-hmm. and less of the funny type, this song works better for that. Because it's it's not the sexy Bond. This is about a holy shit Bond's facing the end of the fucking world. I, I just give it the slightest edge over the other one. What about you? I think I've only said this like less than ten times since we've been married. I one hundred percent agree with you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um. I kiss kiss Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is a better song. Yeah, it is. It's a better song for a James Bond franchise. Oh, God, it would be a perfect song in any other movie. This song is better for this movie. Absolutely. It is perfectly matched to the movie. Yep. I would like to hear Dionne Warwick sing it. I think she has. And Shirley Bassey has definitely sung it. I would like to hear what their rendition... Because I do like Tom Jones' singing. Yeah. I do like him doing the song. I would like to hear their version of it. Just for, for that comparison. Absolutely. Um, because I think I do like a woman singing on the James Bond theme just a little bit better. But I think that's just if you were gonna pick I think that's one, just what I'm used to. But if you were gonna pick one guy to sing a James Bond he, theme, he did a great job. It would be Tom Jones. Of course we must also mention that legend has it. Mm-hmm. And you can almost hear it in the recording. Yes. When Tom Jones sings the last note, he passed out in the studio. <laughs> so he strikes like thunder. And his quote was, I closed my eyes and I held the note for so long. When I opened my eyes, the room was spinning. Yeah. He takes one giant gulp and then just holds it as long as he can belt it. Yeah. And he holds it for like eight bars. It's a long time. Which is insane. It's a long time. And then right at the tail end, you just hear this. Waver and it's probably him falling down. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> he did a great job. It's, uh, it's really good. Okay, on to trivia. Ooh, trivia. Those sharks were motherfucking real. <gasps> Yikes a million. Connery refused to film with them in that pool unless they were under plexiglass. Okay. One shark got through at one point. Yeah, because the plexiglass is only like three feet wide. Yeah, I have no idea. And he freaked. They said they have never seen a man get out of a pool that quickly. He fucking bolted as soon as that shark got around the glass. That would have been me. I don't think those sharks were actually dangerous, though. It's a shark. I know. The underwater scenes were a big, giant deal. Uh-huh. Um, yes, clearly. The ones in the ocean, they had to do it at low tide mm-hmm. so that the sharks in the ocean wouldn't Would come, come after them. them. 
The Explosion of the Disco Valenti. I love that name. I think it's a great uh, comic book name. So... <laughs> Though I kept hearing Volantis, and like, it's the Disco Volantis. I'm totally naming a dog that. So John Steers was the, uh, the guy who did special effects for this film. Mm-hmm. Steers was using experimental rocket fuel for the explosion of the Disco Volante. Oh my god. That was supplied by Colonel Russian. Oh god, of course. <laughs> Steers doused the entire yacht in the rocket fuel, not knowing how powerful it was. Uh-huh. He lit it, uh-huh. or he, he set it all up, got to a safe distance, and they blew up the boat. Yep. It shattered windows in the Bay of Nassau 30 miles away because of how powerful that explosion was. Did they get it on film? <laughs> oh, they got it on no, film. What you film. saw was what we what we watched because the whole point, I think, was yeah. to get an effect of it looking like you just exploded nuclear warheads. Yeah, no, that's fair. So I think that's why they used something different to blow it up. But for his efforts and his big old fuck up. <laughs> he got it done. He won an Oscar. Got it done. Because this movie won Best Special Effects. And rightfully so. If there's one thing about this movie that I will give it really good credit for, its special effects are pretty incredible. They are very good. Like, the underwater scenes never feel hacky, Mm. never feel cheesy. There's no bad front screening or projection in Mm -hmm. it. No, it's good. It's all fucking real. And that's what makes it kind of insane. Well, they had the budget to do it. So. I know. And so budget helps. It just, it, it works. It, the movie looks great. The effects mm-hmm. are awesome. It's just a dud of a story. In its time, received fairly well for the action thing it was. But everybody noted that Connery did not seem up to the task for Bond in this movie. Mm-hmm. Everybody figured that out. And now it's pretty well regarded because it's one of the Sean Connery movies, but it's usually considered kind of in the second tier. Mm-hmm. That they say, you know, it's still pretty good for a Bond film, yeah. but it's definitely too long and the underwater scenes drag. To a person, every critic says the exact same things we do, mm-hmm. that it's way too fucking long. I wouldn't say this is the worst one of the ones we've watched. No, Dr. No's still... Dr. No's at the bottom, but this is definitely number three. Yeah. Three out of four. And I think, like I say, in the grand scheme of things, it lives up as... It's on the second or third tier. For what it was in its time, it's still pretty amazing, but just doesn't hold up because the story just dies so quickly. Yes. Now, there's one other thing we have to talk about, which is one really, really awful scene. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't talk about this with Goldfinger, but there's a pretty rapey scene with Pussy Galore. Yep. In this movie, Mm -hmm. he actually full-on rapes a woman. It's not great. No, it's really not pretty bad i'll tell you this if you're watching this film if that is an issue for you uh it's during the spa treatment scene near the beginning of the movie and honestly do you have to watch a whole lot of that spa part no they could have cut out almost all of that i would i would just say when you see james about to head into a steam room skip like three minutes ahead yeah and yeah just get past it because it's really bad yeah, it's the, yeah, it's bad. To yeah. think that that was acceptable in 65 is still pretty disheartening. Yeah. At least Goldfinger was like, this scene in the hay with the kind of forcing it's, himself on her. It's problematic. Yeah. This one is just wrong. Yeah. Just Flat there's, out there's, bad. There's no uh, nuance. It's just bad. It's just bad. But I will say, even with my recollections of these problems, mm-hmm. they were in the Bahamas. And it's not very racist. It's not very ra- It's not very racist. They show local culture, but they don't, they don't like drag on it or say anything bad about it. I'm oh, yeah, kind of impressed. Uh, yeah, I forgot about that part. For a Bond movie. Yeah. <laughs> and a mid-60s movie. We have to mention it there mm-hmm. for this one, because it's just so egregious. Yep. Okay, how many NATO atomic bombs do you I give this movie? I forgot about the hat. There's a whole, this is the last film that, as the character, James Bond wears a hat. Oh, wow. Before the 007 scene, or the 00 scene, he goes in to see Moneypenny. He talks to her. He takes his hat. He puts it on a hat rack. He leaves. He goes, has the scene. He comes back, and as he's leaving, he looks at the hat rack. His hat is gone. He goes, I swear I brought a hat. And he leaves. Huh. That, is the la- that was them saying, we're not wearing a hat anymore. It wasn't in fashion anymore. Nice. Yeah. Missed that. You missed that? Cause missed I- that one. Yeah. That was like one of the tiny bits of trivia on IMDb that I actually like retained. Ooh, very fun. Hmm. How many NATO atomic bombs do you give this movie? <laughs> two. two. I'll give it a two as well. Yeah, it's a two. I, I believe I gave Dr. Noah two. Yeah. 
but it's different. Slight, it's it's bet it's a better movie, but for different reasons. This should be a three. It's not, eh. In all reality, it should be a three if the story was worth anything. Mm-hmm. And then we got to now get a half point for that one scene. Yeah. So like, I feel like I would give it two point five, but even now with that bitter taste in my mouth yeah. too, in a movie that's kind of a dud, mm-hmm. it, it will qualifies as a two. I think the difference is is. Doctor No is boring. It's, this is just a mess. It's, it's boring and not good. Well, and it's half of this movie is really good. Yes. The first half of this movie is super watchable and leading up to like, okay, this the is cool. The technical stuff is great. The oh, story yeah. is good. That's it. And Sean Connery is just Sean hard to Sean Connery watch. is not good in this movie. No, he's not. He's not good. And we got to be worried because we're getting him yet again for our next film. You only live twice. You only live twice? Yeah. What? That does not make any sense. Hmm. You'll have mm. to find out. I do, do believe- they kill Bond? Or make us think they kill Bond? We'll have to see. Damn it! But I also know that Bond goes to Japan. Ooh. So excited or... Oh, no. Yeah, that's my first like, <laughs> oh, no, how racist are we going to be? <laughs> oh, no. I know for sure I've seen this one. I don't remember. So we'll just have to wait and see. So until next time, guys. Nah, let's not wait. Let's do it now. Okay. Okay, so we just finished our double feature mm-hmm. and watched... You only live twice. Agent 007 and the Japanese Secret Service Ninja Force must find and stop the true culprit of a series of space jackings before nuclear war is provoked. Okay. Ninja Force and space jackings. Wow. That plot summary should have given it dead away what we were in for on this one. Yeah. Oh. The budget. Yeah. Because yep. we discuss it always. Mm-hmm. $10.3 million. Okay, so slightly more than the last one. And it made box office of $111.6 million. Okay, so, I mean... Not as much as the last one, but still a pretty I respectable mean, haul. It totally made back all of its money tenfold, so... It, at this point, it's a phenomenon. Yeah. After Goldfinger, mm-hmm. they're all gonna make money. Yeah. It, you know, it's just a matter of how much and how popular it is. How quickly, yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, this one is, um, it's just, it's not good. Well, it's a hot mess. It, it is a hot mess. Hot racist mess. <laughs> like, there's really just no other way to put it. Like, it's very racially insensitive and just, like, flat-out racist. So, first of all, setting aside the racism only because we have to discuss that as its own thing. Yeah. This is a hot mess of a movie. But I think if it weren't for the cultural insensitivity, Mm -hmm. this would be a hot mess in the best way, where it's like, well, this is absolutely ludicrous, but okay, I'll buy it. There's just so many things in this movie that are not remotely plausible. Like, even if they redid this exact same story today, it would not feel plausible. Which is okay if that's what it is and they go tongue-in-cheek with it, right? And if you... And if you execute it well. True, but they didn't do any of that here. No. And, yeah, it's just, it's not good. But there's good ideas in there. Oh, yeah. Like, the main idea of the plot isn't horrible. They kill Bond. They make everybody think Bond is dead. Which makes a whole lot of sense. He needs to buy some time in order to go pursue a plot that they think is going to be the big deal. And it turns out it is the big deal. He needs to go, like, ultra undercover. And him being dead is the easiest way to do that. Okay? That's great. I'm on it. I'm for it. Okay? We're going to make this about space. Okay? Again, I'm on it. I'm for it. It's going to be against Russia. Totally makes sense. Well, right. sort of. It's like It's like we're putting Russia against Japanese and against America, and like we're just going to create chaos. Right. Okay, I'm for it. Like, that's what evil henchmen do. Yeah. Create chaos. That's what Spectre does. Yeah, that's their That's whole their point. entire motto. That's their whole point. But... The Japan angle is weird. Like, okay, he's in Japan. Okay, he can be in Japan. He's got to work with the Japanese. Okay, that works. They have different customs. Okay, that's fine. He's mostly been in Britain or the beach. So, okay, I can get on board with some of that. Um, him in within some of the geisha culture could have been really cool 
and funny if played appropriately. And which then, I think there's a way to do that. But then there's this whole, we're going to have to make you Japanese and get you married. And, and train you as a ninja. And train you in the ninja force. And then we have a villain who they've been teasing for several movies, but really doesn't get a lot of screen time. And it's kind of lame when we actually get to him, other than the fact that, you know, he throws people in a piranha pond. Yeah, it's just... (laughs) They had some good ideas. They had some really cool stuff, but none of it was executed well. Let's talk about the writing. It's bad. Richard Maybaum was not available for this film. So, Sir Ian Fleming turned to a personal friend of his to take on the task of the screenplay. Mm-hmm. One Mr. Roald Dahl. Yeah, that's right. James and the Giant Peach, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. That Roald Dahl wrote You Only Live Twice. It's not good. <laughs> Look, if we want to talk about the cultural insensitivity, James Bond's first line out of his mouth is one of the most horribly racist things I've ever heard. Mm -hmm. Why do Chinese girls taste different from all other girls? You think we better, huh? No, just different. Like Peking duck is different from Russian caviar, but I love them both. Darling, I give you very best duck. Well, that'd be lovely. Like, (laughs) ew, ew. Like we heard that and I was like... What? What did he just say? You can be... It's it's amazing how you can be so incredibly racist and misogynist at the same time. I mean, I knew it was possible, but man. Woo. From James Bond. And and be charming while doing it. He was not charming while he was doing it. Oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. I mean, he does have the sexy eyebrows, but I mean, no. It's just no. The women are the worst part. Yeah. None of them have any agency. No, they're all just... Well, sort of. I mean, Kissy Suzuki, which, holy shit, that name. She's sh- boring but, as fuck. But she is kind of a badass, if you think about it. She runs across the freaking volcanic mountains and then swims all the way back to the to the ninja group. Yeah. She's kind of kick-ass. They just never no. let us see that. She was not kick-ass. And even our, I don't care. And even our bad Bond girl villain gets no screen time at all. Yeah, number 11. She's like, she could have been really cool. Oh, Helga she Brandt could have been, been amazing. Awesome. And instead, they just knock her out halfway through the movie. They feed her to the piranhas. I mean, she did fail. That's fair. I mean, she deserved to die. <laughs> but. Well, I don't know if she deserved to die, except under Spectre rules. I mean, that's what I mean. Yeah. Under Spectre rules, she deserves to die. And, you know, usually they don't die in, like, a happy way. So, I mean, being fed to piranhas, that's cool. But, you know, James is very charming and seductive. Yeah. Oh, boy. So the writing's not great. (laughs) Dahl had no experience with screenplays other than one failed project, which I am sure you are shocked to know. I was more shocked to find out, because I did do a little bit of reading on, like, the little little trivia bits, that this is the only piece of work he's had adapted for film, or worked on, where he was happy with the filmed product. Which I was like, that's sad for you. (laughs) A little bit. I understand why you don't like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. That movie's amazing. Or Willy Wonka is Chuck's Factory. It's amazing. Dahl did say that the original novel Mm -hmm. of You Only Live Twice was his worst book. He hated it, yeah. Because in his words, and I've never read it, so I wouldn't know, but it's a travelogue. It's Ian Fleming enamored with the culture of Japan and writing about Japan, which I think comes through when you see the... We're in Tokyo. How much exposition we get of Tokyo. Apparently the novel focuses exclusively on that mm-hmm. and not okay. on any of the plot. So he basically said, I had to create a new plot from scratch, though I only remembered four or five of the original story's ideas. He got down to the wire, had no idea what the hell Bond was going to do, and had six weeks to write a draft. So he just went for a basic Dr. No level plot. I don't know. We can safely say that any change in vibes from... Even Thunderball, which is a dud of a movie, Mm -hmm. but has its moments. Yeah. The plausibility went completely out the window. True. Yeah. No, that made this unenjoyable. But here's my thing. For me, there are going to be Bond movies that we watch in the future that are incredibly ridiculous, but that's why they're fun. 
Yeah, that's okay. I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous. So you have to wonder at a certain point, did we really hit an uncanny valley situation here? Or is it that it was just so poorly executed? It was poorly executed. I think that's my problem. Because, like, like, the idea is okay. I can get on board with the idea. It's the execution of all of it, which is so bad. If you want to go completely off the rails and make a ridiculous movie that makes no sense, Mm -hmm. you can do that. But you have to make it look good. No, you can't do that with an established character like this. You set up your franchise to be one thing. You can't switch it unless you're going to end it. Man, as we get down this road, you are not going to like some of the rest of this then. Probably. (laughs) That's probably the way it is. Let's talk about our director. Mr. Lewis Gilbert had just finished Alfie with... Michael Kai. Lewis Gilbert would go on to direct The Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker. Okay. Those are Roger Moore's, right? Yep. Super gadget heavy as well. Ooh, yay. So, which everybody says this movie got gadget heavy. I was like, how? I don't know that this got gadget heavy. Technology heavy, maybe. Technology heavy. The thing is, Bond wasn't using the gadgets. Dog gave a pretty decent description of Gilbert's style. Basically, he was pretty hands-off. Just decided to let the writing stand for itself. Bad move. This is not the movie to do that. No, it really wasn't. No. Trust the wrong dude. Uh, But, you know, Roald Dahl. Other directors have such an ego that they want to rewrite it and put their own dialogue in, and it's usually disastrous. Well, Roald, I would tend to say that your dialogue was the bigger problem here. (laughs) On to casting. Okay. Mr. Sean Connery. He's tired. He's so done. He's done. I mean, so this is one of the things I read about was that when they filmed a lot of this in Japan. Right. And the the media had gotten so crazy over there. And I mean, like the frenzy was just nonstop. And we already knew in the previous film that after Goldfinger, he was not, he was not happy. It was taking a toll on his marriage. He was miserable in oh, the yeah. last film. So this film, it was just that much worse. And there was actually one point where he went to an interview and he showed up and he was wearing just like a regular shirt and slacks and sandals and he didn't have his toupee on. (laughs) And the reporter was offended and was like, this is who you send? I'm supposed to be interviewing James Bond. And he was like, I'm Sean Connery and I like to be comfortable. I'm not James Bond. And all of the promotion for the film was Sean Connery is James Bond. And he he was just, he hated all of it. He was miserable. He was no longer on speaking terms with Albert Broccoli at this point. He had the five movie deal. Uh He knew he had to get through the contract, but he made it very clear to them he was not coming back. Correct. And they offered him like a million dollars. On top of all of this, he was also getting typecast. He couldn't get roles. Yeah. I mean, some of it was grueling production schedule because... Well, they they were filming these back to back. There was no time for him to do anything else. He made five Bond movies in six years. Yeah, that is nuts. It's even today. It's a six-month production schedule, which is nuts. Like right now, they were talking about oh, they were going to build, they were going to do Spectre and Bond twenty-five back to back, and Daniel Craig said, "Fuck no." I've got to have like a vacation, guys. Yeah, it's just like that's not going to happen. Donald Pleasance as Ernst Stavros Blofeld. He was great. He was good, but we didn't get enough of him. I know. That's that's the damn shame, because Donald Pleasance is low-key mm-hmm. one of my favorite character actors. He's in The Great Escape. Okay. He's in THX 1138. I uh, He is the psychiatrist in Halloween, and he is the president in Escape from New York. Okay. Amongst other things. He's just really good. And he also did a whole bunch of weird culty horror movies in the 70s. Okay, cool. Which makes a whole lot of sense. His look and his demeanor plays perfect into villain. The scar was totally his idea. My understanding was that he had several things in mind. Oh, he had ideas for a hump, a limp, a beard, and a lame hand before he settled on the scar. But he hated the scar because it hurt his eye. Yeah. I don't know, man. It looks cool. And it's good. It's good. Corrine Dorr as Helga Brandt. She, I mean... Number 11. The little bit we got of her was cool. She never did anything else after this, which is really weird, because she kind of seemed like she had something there. Oh, well. One interesting note, the diving stunt when she goes into the uh, the piranha stank, uh-huh. uh, she did that herself. Oh, cool. Yeah. 
we would be remiss in not mentioning the Japanese actors performing in this film, mm-hmm. especially because if they're going to be so racist about it, we'd better give some props to who they were working with. Yeah. In setting this up and filming in Japan, they coordinated with Toho Studios, which mm-hmm. is the big, giant big film do. studio. And what's interesting, they produce both the art house movies and the monster flicks. Oh, okay. So, because Toho is Akira Kurosawa's studio. So it's kind of cool, like, oh, they went on both sides and did everything. Most of these actors were from their monster feature studio crew. Like, they were under contract with that side of Toho. So if you go look at all their credits, they were in all sorts of Godzilla-like movies and Mothra and whatever. All of their credits lean to that. We have Akiko Wakabayashi as Aki, James's original lady, lady friend. She originally was supposed to play Kissy Suzuki. She would have been so much better as Kissy Suzuki. The problem was that the other actress, Miehama, who played Kissy Suzuki, was supposed to play Aki. Okay. They flipped because Miehama was not able to speak English as well as Akiko. Okay, this is where you just recast. Possibly. We also have Tetsuro Tanba as Tiger Tanaka. He was pretty good. He was actually really good. Our director had worked with him in a film called The Seventh Dawn, but he'd worked with him, knew his acting style, and I can tell that they may have dubbed over some lines for him, but he's still acting through his scenes. And that's a problem that we get with some of these where, you know, they're being dubbed and then you're missing that acting style. No, he was really good. He kind of gave me Felix Leiter vibe. He gave me Kareem Bay vibes from From Russia Okay, yeah, yeah. He's the Japanese version of Kareem Bay. There you go. Yeah, that's a better comparison. Okay. Has way more problematic views about women. Fair. 100%. Man, if Bond is bad about women, Tiger Tanaka's like, Ew. Yeah, because he takes him to the bathhouse. Oh, boy. My friend, now you take your first civilized bath. Really? Well, I like the plumbing. Place yourself entirely in their hands, my dear born son. Rule number one is never do anything for yourself when someone else can do it for you. And number two? Rule number two, in Japan, men always come first. Women come second. I might just retire to here. And one actor I do want to mention, the man that Bond meets in Japan the first time, the Englishman, Charles Gray is Mr. Henderson. Just want to put a pin in him for later on down the road. Okay. Just, you know, he's got this We're one scene. Him again. Whatever, but we may see him again later on. So just remember his face, mm-hmm. his vibe, because okay. he might come back. That means he comes back. Ooh. Okay, there's at least one more you gotta mention. Well, who is that? Peter Fanin Mavia. Okay. He's the cab driver that Bond ends up having a fight with in Mr. Soto's office. Ooh, interesting. And he's the one that throws he throws him in the bar closet. <laughs> Do you know who that is? Who is that? That's Dwayne the Rock Johnson's grandfather. Nice. Yeah. He's got the build for it. Yeah. He does a really good job. Yep. Also can't help loving Money Penny in naval attire. She's cute. Also, Bond in naval attire. It's pretty <laughs> All pretty of them in naval attire in like their satellite offices is pretty funny. Yeah, well, and their satellite office being a submarine. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what makes it great. It's funny. It's cute. Uh, I'm gonna miss Bernard Lee as M. Judy Dench is pretty great, but I kinda love Bernard Lee being the Bond. Just do what I tell you to do. Get out of my damn office. Judy Dench's M has that, but she's kind of more of like... Uh, she's his mother. A, a, more of like a, a teacher who's just not going to put up with your shit. Whereas... A no-nonsense teacher, which is funny. this M is his boss. Yes. It's a straight-up boss relationship. It's okay. I, I like the relationship that M has with... With Bond. It's just so fun to watch him and, and him and Bond. And then and then I also really like Ray Fiennes as M. It's it's different and not what we've seen before, but it's cool. But then they I mean in the Daniel Craiglands they bring in a different character who works like th- this M. Our design. Ken Adam back at it again. Okay. There's one big thing to note with it. Mm-hmm. The the scenic design, the art direction, it's not the greatest in this movie. I mean, there's so much rear projection and it, weird it painted over stuff. Thing. The volcano. Yeah, it went to the volcano, which is pretty awesome. All of that was practical. The yeah. monorail mm-hmm. worked. The helipad was an actual helipad. helipad. Everything and everything was constructed at Pinewood. That was yeah. all in London. Yeah, no, I believe that's where all the money went. And that's okay, because the Japanese sets could be minimal. It cost one million dollars. 
Um, uh, they did it at Pinewood, interestingly enough, because they were they wanted to do it at a Japanese castle. Mm-hmm. But there were no Japanese castles built on the ocean, probably yeah. because they were smart enough to know that typhoons fucking come in yeah, on the true. island and would blow it all away. Yeah. So they recognized, okay, well, that's not going to work. So let's put it in a volcano. Yeah. Makes sense. Sure. All of the rest of the stuff, you could be like, okay, whatever. But that is damned impressive. It is impressive. And all the practical effects that they're The practical doing effects, in there. the gadgets within that are really cool. Yeah. Um, I like it. Uh its execution isn't amazing. I mean, it's just nothing's as cool as Goldfinger's Lair. No. The execution is great. The problem is is that everything's been so sloppy and yeah. off putting up to that point mm-hmm. that by the time we get there, it's not a fun enough reveal for us. Yeah, I I don't like how it was revealed. I don't know how I would fix it, though. I don't know how we'd fix this uh, yeah, whole I, movie at this point. We'd start from scratch. Oh, yeah. It's, I think the only thing I really like about the volcano is I like the bridge. I like the bridge that collapses over Piranha Pond. Oh, okay. I think that's cool. <laughs> I like how it was used. I like the rockets. I like the blinds. I like the details that they put into the volcano layer. Like the yeah, fact I that I do like okay, the monorail. Got, the monorail's cool. The monorail to transport, yeah. but everything is also functional with a purpose, True. which always makes makes me happy yes. to watch that in a design. Yes. The blinders are there both as a futuristic look, but also hey, pull this down so the rocket mm-hmm. fumes don't get into where we're observing things, and then we open it up once the rocket's gone. Like everything in there had a purpose of yeah. some sort. It's just the plot was fucking ridiculous. We should also talk about our Japanese Aston Martin, the Toyota 2000 GT. Yeah, I did know about this. That Okay, so they weren't actually convertibles. They didn't make convertibles. They took them off and didn't put flaps on top because Sean Connery would have never fit in those with a hard top. (laughs) Yeah, that car is little. Yeah, and he is not small. It's a little zippy car. Yeah, so I thought that was cool. Like, I... I miss seeing the Aston Martin, like, all souped up and cool. But he's in a different land, so it makes sense that it would be a different car. It would, it would have to be a Japanese car if they're going to go to Japan. Like, yeah. it just makes sense. No. I'm totally fine with those those things. And the, the cam- That works for me. And the camera installation there is really freaking cool. Yeah. That's fun. Which gets us to our gadgets. Yay, gadgets! We have to start off with the waterproof body bag. Yeah. Which is pretty damned good. Like, waterproof with... You know, the air stuff. Also, by the way, this whole plot point mm-hmm. of him dying was something from the original screenwriter that they brought on. Oh, okay. There was somebody that was there before Roll Dahl, mm-hmm. and then it just wasn't working. I, th- I think just this movie kept getting pushed back because they didn't have a script. I mean, I think... And finally, by the time they got Roll Dahl on board, he's like, I got six weeks to write something? Fucking hell. See, okay, so now what I think is going to happen with after, like, Bond 25, whatever Bond 26 is going to be, we're going to think, it's Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig's going to stay on for a whole nother film, and they're going to do this, and they're going to kill him, only they're actually going to kill Daniel Craig's James Bond, and we get the new one that nobody's ever seen. Yeah, maybe. Just, well, it's just a great, it's a great idea. It's a great thing. Fake, fake the death. It is a great idea. On the other hand, I'd be totally fine with them just recasting. That's what they've always done. It's just cast a new Bond. James and, Bond is a Time Lord. Yeah, and just That's don't worry about it. I, no, I am fine with that. I like the idea that is the moniker that is used for this agent, and then this agent dies or leaves the organization. It goes to the next one in line. I don't even think that internal logic is there. I think it's just, I yeah, think, we don't fucking I, care. I think that is here based purely on the whole thing with M. I would really like it if they just didn't explain it. It would be w- kind of awesome. I also want them to bring in other double O's. True. I want I want I want another double O partner. Or I want to see a whole team of them or like, how about, all get killed or something. I don't know. Or how about the evil turn double O? Well yeah, you gotta have one of those who kills all the other ones. Anyway, gadgets. <laughs> gadgets, sorry. Uh, this movie's so bad, so I don't blame you. Mm. Um jet propelled bullets? Cool. Rocket bullets? Cool. Rocket bullets. So we don't get a Q briefing. I mean, Q's in this movie or credited? I don't even remember seeing him. The helicopter. Oh, that's That's right. That's the scene where he, this box, you know, you know, makeshift craft helicopter... He shows up to give him that. I he he uses it to scout the volcano, uh, and then I don't even remember what happens to it. And then Q never comes back. No, he doesn't. Little Nelly, mm-hmm. 
the WA-116 Little Nelly Gyrocopter. Okay, this thing was a fucking death trap. I believe that. It looks like a death trap. Ken Adam Mm -hmm. heard an interview with a guy named Wallace. Mm -hmm. This guy was an RAF commander who had built this experimental gyrocopter. A little zippy helicopter for personal use. Wallace flew the mocked up gyrocopter Mm -hmm. with weapons, Mm -hmm. in air quotes, retrofitted by John Steers, the special effects guy. They took 85 takeoff sequences and five hours of flight time Wallace nearly hit the cameraman several times while doing this. Mm -hmm. Then, when the helicopters were flying over him, there were really bad downdrafts on the gyrocopter. Cameraman Jim Jordan had his foot chopped off by Little Nelly in filming those sequences. Uh Uh-huh. My mouth is agape. (laughs) And finally, we would be remiss without mentioning the mini rocket cigarette. I do like the mini rocket cigarette. That's very cool. Q would have come up with that if Tiger hadn't. Yeah, I li- like, yeah. It works. Our theme song, You Only Live Twice, performed by Nancy Sinatra. It's a really good song. It is. It is a good song. And she does a decent job with it. She was incredibly nervous while recording the song. She almost walked out during the first take. And she claimed that at certain points, she says she sounded like Mickey Mouse. The ultimate version of this song is a mix of 25 different takes of the song. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. It just like... Here's the thing. She had just become, like, gigantic, huge popular. Yeah, and this is a huge exposure. You can't screw it up. It's, it's like, fucking up the Super Bowl. You just can't do it. Not it's to not, mention that loud. they had offered this to her father. And he said no. And he turned it down. Yeah. So, like, it I mean, was it was a bit of a pressure moment for I her. I get that, but it's not. she's not trying to sing it live, so take however much time you need. If it takes 25 takes to get it takes 25 takes to get it that's okay and, and who knows i mean the, the other side of it is maybe she went in to go record it and just that day it wasn't coming together the thing is is i don't want to blame any performer for that because sometimes just shit happens yeah, it's a good song it, it really works is well for the movie i like when they use it within the movie the the melody it's good i do find it interesting that this this has a lot of covers attached to it. Okay. Uh, Shirley Bassey, of course, has covered it. I think she's covered every Bond theme at some point. There is a Bjork cover floating mm-hmm. out there. I think that's the one that I've heard. Which is interesting. It's not one of Bjork's better performances. Mm-hmm. She kind of seems not as much in control of her voice. Okay. Which Bjork's at her best when she's like really honed in where she's singing. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it's it's Bjork and I love everything about her. I know. Little little Iceland pixie. Little sprite. She's a sprite. She is a sprite. A sprite. Little little sprite jumping around the green island. Coldplay has covered this in concert extensively on one of their tours. And Robbie Williams sampled this for his single Millennium. So yeah, this has been It's a good song. song. Like I get it. Yeah. I wanna hear Sam Smith sing it. I wanna hear lots of people sing it. Adele would probably kill it. Oh of course she would she's Adele. The reception for this movie. I mean, it was successful. Yeah, it was. Uh, The plot was equally trashed by everyone. That is the common comment from everyone from both the the contemporary reviews and reviews now. They're like, God, this plot's terrible. Okay. In no way is this plausible. So we are in the majority on this. It completely falls apart. There are like two people who think like this is the best Bond, which I'm like, why? They're wrong. (laughs) Like, they're wrong. And then, so it's interesting. They say this is the movie that they called the most for Austin Powers. And I'm like, really? I don't feel that. Dr. Dr. Evil's taken directly from Blowfield. Yes. That's true. 
The little getaway car, sure. The piranhas, okay. But, you know... But it's really, it's a lot more Goldfinger. Well, there's Goldfinger, but he also pulls from Thunderball with the chairs and the trapdoors. Yeah, the chairs, trapdoors. They pull stuff from from Russia with love. From all of them. Yeah. It's it's mostly Blowfield and the Spectre organization. Right. Is what Dr. Evil is. And the biggest thing to me is they pulled from the Sean Connery films. Yes. Not just from one movie. Also, this is the first bomb film that Queen Elizabeth II attended in person. Ooh. She went to the premiere, I think. Or she went to see it in the theater. Anyway, boy, this movie's fucking racist. It It is. I You can skip it if you want. Yeah. I mean, I don't even recommend, like, actually... Needing to see it. No, no. I would totally say you could skip it. I tell you what. I tell you what. Dr. No is still worse. Yeah. From start to finish. But this is a close second to that title. How many volcano hideouts do you give this? One. Wow. So you really, you think Dr. No is a worse movie, but you're giving this a worse rating. I enjoyed watching this one more than Dr. No. Ah, I see. But... Dr. No has more redeemable qualities. This does not. Oh, yeah. I'll go one and a half, and I'll do that on the strength of Donald Pleasance's five minutes of screen time. I'll allow that. Because he sets up Blowfield. Yes, this movie I is as bad as RoboCop, <laughs> which is the current holder of one star. He sets up Blofeld in a way that I think nobody's ever able to match, and then also really sets up Blofeld as a good bad guy. Does he come back as Blofeld? I don't know. We'll have to find out, won't we? That means yes. Next time, we get the mother of all weirdness of Bond movies on Her Majesty's Secret Service. seen this i have heard so much about it Mm -hmm. i know it is really weird part of the canon because we have a new bond Mm -hmm. who was only in one movie yep of his own dumb dumb decision making yep it is so interesting to see the reviews of this movie because some people think it's secretly one of the best Mm -hmm. in the entire series and some think it's a piece of garbage so we yeah, we said we were going to do the Sean Connery and we are doing the Sean Connery. But this one is such a weird outlier. We just made sense to just keep going in order. And I think it's going to be interesting both to compare it to the other Connery movies mm-hmm. and look at it as its own standalone movie mm-hmm. in its own right because from everything I can tell, this one's going to be completely different than almost any Bond movie we watch. Okay. So until next time. Bye, guys. That's it for this episode. Please take a moment to review and rate us on iTunes. And for questions and comments, drop us an email at macintoshandmod at gmail.com. 